So let's just remember, Adam thought Micah Bowens was going to be the second string quarterback. Welcome back to the Mainline Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Jacquez. The full crew is back again. Corbin Colson, Tyler Burton. Guys, how are we doing? Doing good, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, nice uh, having a table of three instead of two. So it's nice yeah. having a full crew back. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting right now going to the offseason transfer portal and everything still being in effect. So we still have some stuff to, to talk about. We're not you know, grasping at straws yet, trying to find some new creative things to talk about. But let's get into it. Yeah, it does feel like the wheels have, have slowly stopped turning at this point as far as uh, the transfer portal, and it's possible that OU might be done. Uh, Tyler Guyton just committed about 30 minutes before we started recording this. Uh, big offensive lineman from TCU, pretty raw guy, um, so we'll see what he can produce on the field. He may need a couple of years still, but um, I think all eyes are still on Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg. It's been so quiet. We delayed last week's episode thinking that we might get some news. Didn't happen. Here we are a full week later. Still no news. Nobody knows anything, it seems, but it's been significantly quieter on the OU side of things. Well, I just don't understand it. Like we talked about before we started recording, I mean, class have been going on some campuses for uh, at least one, if not two weeks. You know, workouts have started up, uh, classes have resumed. Wouldn't you want to be on campus right now with your team, starting to build that camaraderie, starting to get in there and, you know, develop those relationships with your guys? And, like I said, it almost just kind of feels like it's, you know, who blinks first and then the dominoes are going to fall shortly after. Um, but the news that we kind of got earlier today kind of sounds like Caleb Williams and his family are kicking the tires with Wisconsin right now. So um, nobody would be happier than uh, I think the OU fan base if he made his trip up to Madison and played for the Badgers. Guys, according to all my sources, a decision from Jackson Dart is imminent. Could happen at any moment. Now we've <laughs> any day now. Yeah, we've been hearing that for what a week and a half. Uh, guys, to me, it's kind of getting ridiculous. You know, the uh, the tweets out. You know, Ole Miss question mark with a bunch of photos, and then maybe OU tagging all the coaches. It just it seems like a stretch. Like I don't know. I'm I think I my expectations on this kid have just kind of lowered. That's not the way I I function. Like make a decision or don't. If you're dependent on where Caleb Williams decides to go, if you're Jackson Dart, then like, are you really like that guy? Uh, so maybe that's just me, but I'm kind of over the whole situation. Let's move forward. Uh, spend our times elsewhere is, is my opinion. But if he decides to come to OU, more power to him. It was interesting looking at social media. I don't know. I can't remember who the exact source was that put it out, but there was one guy that talked about how, uh, Jackson darts NIL value had like increased by like almost $40,000 from the time he put his name in the portal all the way up until a couple of days ago. So maybe kind of this holding out process, Fielding offers, kind of starting to see the dollar figure go up a little bit more. Um, I thought I knew the rules on official visits, in-home visits, but it kind of feels like Ole Miss has been in his house uh, three or four times over the last couple of weeks. OU's been out there. BYU's made a trip. So, I don't know. I'm just ready for this whole thing to end. But I think that there's one thing all three of us can agree on is we're it's time to move on for, from, from Caleb Williams. I kind of feel like the, most of the fan base as a whole is kind of in that same category. We've got Dylan Gabriel on campus right now. Um, kind of feels like we're ready to move on from that and we'll roll with who we've got. I mean, not only are we moving on from him, I think there are a lot of people that are moving on from Jackson Dart at this point. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's been quiet on the OU side of things. I think Venables is taking the old Bob Stoops approach uh, as far as what uh, the famous recruiting uh, line that we heard when he was recruiting Adrian Peterson was, we'll win with you or we'll win without you. Um, your choice. And I think that's the right thing to do. Um, we're not Ole Miss. We're not BYU or any of these other programs that he's considering. We're the um, hotter girl in this scenario, so to speak. And so we don't need to be begging, you know, trying to get him to come here. We're fine with or without him, um, whether, you know, he might be a better quarterback than Dylan Gabriel. But as a program, we'll, we'll survive. We'll be OK without him and, and we'll move on. So, um, you know, he may surprise us and come to OU and we may get a decision, you know, here in 30 seconds or it might be another seven days. Who knows? But I think at this point, people are kind of moving on and, and ready to go with Dylan Gabriel. Yep. Yeah, and honestly, at this point right now, um, you look and see what Jeff Levy's done. You know, since he got hired on here at Oklahoma, he brings in Dylan Gabriel, um, gets Nick Evers a 22 quarterback, and then now 
I guess we can kind of put to bed the narrative that Oklahoma, when it comes to quarterback recruiting, is just going to simply fall off. It's not going to be possible anymore now that Lincoln Riley's here. Um, we got the announcement yesterday, Jackson Darnold, um, he's committed to Oklahoma, uh, four-star rivals, 250 guy, number one quarterback in the state of Texas. He's deciding he's going to be part of the 2023 class. Uh, and guys going back and watching this film, um, r- really, really a lot to be excited about with this guy, the way he can throw the football, the way he can move around the pocket, make plays with his legs. Uh, and then honestly, you know, he led Denton Geyer all the way to the state championship game last year. in what, in my opinion, is the hardest division in high school football that there is across the country. So uh, the fact that he was able to do that in what was just his first full year uh, as the starting quarterback at the high school level, pretty impressive. And, you know, there's the the ceiling on this kid is extremely high, and you've got to like the potential that you see when you turn on the tape. Guys, there's a clear renewed focus, and I get that there will be a ton of recruiting in the uh, the SEC market, you know, with Venables uh, at the helm moving forward. But there's a clear renewed focus in recruiting the state of Texas. Uh, and it all starts every single year with the quarterback position. No different here in 23 with Arnold committing. So it'll be exciting to see what he can do. Who can he gather around? Who are other big names uh, within his city, state, uh, region, you know, that he could potentially pull in? We know quarterbacks have a pull like nobody else does. So getting a guy locked in this early for 2023 is huge. Um, you know, it'll be exciting to see if he can bring in some more guys with him. Yeah, I like that we went ahead and just took this guy. And uh, there were some people that want us to go take a look at uh, Jason Rashada out of Northern California and some, maybe some other guys as well. But Jackson Arnold was a guy that's just down the road, two and a half hours, wants to be at OU, wants to commit, very highly touted. You know, maybe you're splitting hairs as far as who might be the better quarterback here and there. But um, I love that we just said, hey, we're ready to roll with you. And you have to feel confident he's a guy that will probably stick around just based on proximity to school and um, probably knowing several players that are already on the OU roster. Um, so you got to love that. Well, it's kind of a cliche too, you know, the fact that he is, I, th- I believe he's the third commit in the class of 2023. So the fact that you're able to get your quarterback who is kind of, you know, the unsung captain of the ship when it comes to your recruiting class, the fact you can get him in almost a year before uh, early signing day for 2023, allow him to be able to start recruiting for your program along with the coaches and the other two commits in this class uh, is really good as well. And then Adam, I thought you, thought you hit the nail on the head. You know, Venables and, you know, Todd Bates, Jay Valai, a lot of this coaching staff, you're seeing them go out there and recruit the the Southeast, Florida, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia. You're seeing offers go out time and time again that, that are being announced on Twitter. But then you go back to the state of Texas, and it almost kind of feels like Lincoln Riley, the more he was the head coach here at Oklahoma, he kind of prioritized kind of going nationwide with his recruiting and, you know, maybe going out to the DMV area out on the East coast, going out to the West coast, focusing primarily on the state of California. And now that Venables is back in town, you're starting to see, OU kind of put, dip their hands back into the state of Texas. Um, you know, shout out to Keegan Renault. He pointed it out on social media of the top 14 players in the state of Texas for the class of 2023. OU's already had an in-person visit with nine of them in the last couple of weeks. So you can see the emphasis and the focus um, that Oklahoma and BV are putting back into, you know, that state just a little bit further south. Uh, and it's going to pay huge dividends. We're already seeing that on the recruiting trail with uh, uh, with, with Tyler Guyton uh, and now Jackson Arnold. And then, you know, there's plenty more to come shortly after. Yeah. And not just Texas, but a renewed focus on Oklahoma too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, I mean, we saw Gentry Williams, uh, lock himself in, I guess, on Twitter earlier today saying he's fully yeah. committed to OU. That's great. We've missed out on so many guys from the, the northeast side of the state in the Tulsa area over the last couple of, of years. And it's you see these OU coaches really going out and saying, hey, we're prioritizing Oklahoma kids. We're prioritizing Oklahoma high schools. Not, not the, we'll just take Oklahoma kids because it means more necessarily, but hey, we're going to make everyone feel important, whether we choose to offer them or not because we don't know when that next elite level talent is going to come out of a high school and so um, we're not going to just you know come around once in a while and expect to just land that guy when he's there yeah i think that's a great point a lot of the i won't say a lot but some of the high schools that have posts on twitter that you know OU coaches come and visited uh they don't have a guy the pro OU is probably recruiting right now to be honest and so i think adam your spot on there is building those bridges so that when that guy does come we don't get left out in the rain like we have so many especially from the tulsa area for whatever reason that has been an asterisk and lincoln riley's side ever since he was here that clearly at least as of now they're starting to lay kind of the uh, the framework for that to change moving forward under venables 
Yeah, and kind of before we move on to our next topic here, I, I did want to point out, you know, we talked about Jackson Arnold committing, and then here just a few minutes ago before we hit record, uh, Tyler Guyton, the, the transfer from TCU, he did decide to commit. For people that aren't familiar with what the Sooners are getting in this guy, I mean, six foot seven, 312 pounds, tremendous athleticism and footwork for a guy of this stature. Um, I think he weighs, he, like I said, he weighs 312 right now. I um, think he probably has a chance to stay around that 315, maybe even the 320 number. Um, two or three star coming out of high school. This is a guy that primarily played on the defensive line uh, all four years in high school. And, you know, then he changed over to become an offensive tackle uh, when he got to TCU. So really raw, but has a ton of potential, a ton of athleticism. He just needs more time in his position and to be coached up. And so um, you would have to think that if he's a guy that out of everybody in the transfer portal, everybody that was left in the class of 2022 for Bill and Bebo to get him on campus, extend that off route to him, he likes the possibility of this kid and the tools that he has uh, in his arsenal. And it's it's a it's a guy that commits at a position of, of desperate need, and especially with him having three years of eligibility left, uh, guides a guy that uh, could be a player for Oklahoma as his career kind of moves further along. I think you mean wide receiver Tyler Guyton. He has yeah. a reception for a <laughs> touchdown in his back pocket. So let's not yeah. get him confused. Uh, he is he's a scorer. Yeah, when I saw that highlight, it reminded me of uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he played for Baylor back in the Art Bryles era. That was like 400 pounds playing tight end. Mm. That's what it looked like yeah. catching that touchdown. Yeah, uh, which was kind of wild. So I hope that Tyler Guyton's not necessarily um, protecting our quarterback this upcoming season, mainly because we have some tackles that should be making a major step forward, and mm-hmm. um, Guyton's probably got some time that he needs to still develop. Uh, but it's possible he could be protecting whoever's starting back there. Right now, we think that's Dylan Gabriel. And I think just because of the nature of how fast he committed to OU, we didn't get any type of buildup really to get super excited um, or really examine him and and get ourselves pumped up. But I think we have to remind ourselves that, um, you know, he's a big time player. Um, Yeah. Going back to his true freshman year, that was the only season that he was coached by Jeff Levy. Put up some pretty incredible stats top 10 in yards per attempt, number 13 in passing yards, number 17 in passing touchdowns number 14 in passing efficiency. This is him as a freshman. So he's a very experienced guy now. He's coming back to his roots with Jeff Levy. I think you got to be pretty pumped about Dylan Gabriel, um, you know, running this Sooner offense, whether Dart's here or not. Yeah, I agree. It's it's interesting, though, because if you you have a skeptic mentality, it's like, okay, if Levy has that much confidence in Gabriel, why, why are we still going after Dart this hard? So I think there's kind of a grain of salt in kind of what I expect from Dylan Gabriel. I think I said on a podcast a few weeks ago, like I think the ceiling is probably like a big 12 championship, maybe a little bit more, but that's kind of like where I'm at. How much does that change if a Jackson Dart does eventually come to Norman, which I don't want to speak for you all, but I think we're all kind of like on the verge of all agreement. That's probably not happening. I don't know where, how you guys feel about it, but that's my, that would be my only thing is like, if we were so confident I get you have to have depth in the quarterback room, but if you're so confident, then why isn't he the guy now? Why why, yeah. why are we not good with, with that? I think it has less to do with how confident or what the you know the possibilities are in Dylan Gabriel. Like you know he is tremendously talented. He knows Levy knows Levy's system. Um, so I think the fact that we are still pursuing Jackson Dart so hard right now, I don't think it really has so much to do with Dylan Gabriel and whether we think he, you know, has the capability of playing the quarterback position OU at an extremely high level. I think that he does, but I also think that it's Levy essentially saying, you know, we're we're one play away from Nick Evers, a true freshman, being the starting quarterback at OU. So you want to have that added depth, a guy that, you know, has played, um, you know, meaningful snaps at the Power 5 level, so definitely can't hurt for, for him to come on board. Um, and ultimately, you know, I think he might be, he's definitely a little bit more talented than Dylan Gabriel. The ceiling is higher. Um, but even if Jackson Dart did commit to Oklahoma, I think we can all, you know, we're pretty confident saying that Dylan Gabriel is going to be, you know, QB one for the first, first game against UTEP next year. Would we be confident in that? I'm not, I am. I'm not, I I think it's a battle. I mean, missing one, two weeks is not going to make that big of a difference. And, uh, it's been a while since Gabriel played in Levy's system. So uh, there's certainly a, a, an opening there. Now, if you look at what Levy ran at Ole Miss, uh, Matt Corral ran the ball a ton. I don't know if that's because of the playmakers around him or, or just you know, how situations were, but 
Um, you know, he was beat up uh, quite a bit throughout the year and, and got injured in the Sugar Bowl. So I yeah. think that's certainly one. If if Levy's going to run that type of offense, where his quarterback's running all the time, you definitely want some guys back there. So that kind of leads us into well, who's going to who's going to play the backup? And Tyler, you mentioned Nick Evers is who you're you're already throwing in there. Is that are you confident in that, or do you think any of the other guys have a chance? Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and honestly, if Jackson uh, Jackson Dard doesn't commit and choose to come to Oklahoma, then who's to say that OU doesn't, you know, try to go back into the transfer portal, maybe pick up a grad transfer. Or we all know that once spring football starts, uh, there's going to be some quarterbacks across America that, you know, probably they're going to go through first few practices of spring football. They're probably starting to, to realize, Hey, I'm probably not going to get a chance to play this upcoming year. I'm going to choose to go elsewhere. Or, you know, it, it could be a situation where you look at a guy like Tanner Schaefer, a guy that is uh, maybe not as highly talented as a four or five star, but a kid that, uh, is a quality quarterback. He can get it done, and maybe he, uh, there's a guy out there that wants to come to OU and play for a year because he ultimately has the goal of becoming a coach one day uh, after his playing career is over. So coming to a place like Oklahoma, being able to learn from from Levy while also you know providing some added value in that quarterback room. Uh, but no, just because Jackson Dart, if he doesn't come to Oklahoma, I think OU still tries to pick up at least one more guy uh, out of the transfer portal because you never want to be just one play away uh, from a true freshman starting. No love for Ralph Rucker, huh? Hey, I, I'm not throwing any shade or any slander, Ralph Rucker, but uh, no, I, I like I said, G- Gabriel's the guy. Um, even if Jackson Dart commits, I still think that that's the case. I still think he starts the first game next year, um, but it'll be fun to see. So it's only January 25th, guys. We got plenty of time. We do. I think it's going to be really tough to get a, another transfer to come to OU because in almost every situation a guy's transferring as a quarterback is for playing time. We can't offer that if, if Dylan Gabriel's entrenched. So I think more than likely you might see a guy from a lower uh, tier group of five school, maybe that um, suddenly wasn't going to start or something. And he's like, well, you know, I, I might as well go somewhere where I can have a great time at a higher level, a uh, hi- higher level of competition. And who knows, maybe, you know, luck turns his way as far as getting some playing time there's uh, a there's a guy up north in stillwater that just entered the transfer yeah. portal if you get that's two true. days ago that's and true many wow. people will re- recognize <laughs> yeah yeah it's because the guy in front of him was all big 12 so i'm sure he wasn't gonna get true. much playing time uh, yeah but also true. he makes landry jones look like kyler murray by comparison to, to him so um <laughs> not not very interested so yeah but we'll we'll, we'll see I guess in the in, in the idea of the backup, if we just have with what we're rolling, I kind of am leaning a little bit towards Micah Bowens. And the reason I say that is because if Dylan Gabriel goes down for some reason, I don't think Bowens is the guy long-term. Let's say there's eight games left in the year. I don't think he plays all eight games. I think the first two games, he's mixed in there with either Rucker or Evers. Uh, simply because then you can throw their defensive staff for a loop, give them extra things to prepare for, have Bowens run wild. Um, he's not going to pass much, probably effectively. But I think it's a tall ass to put a true freshman in Nick Evers out there or a walk-on in Ralph Rucker out there full-time until they have a little bit of an opportunity to get their feet wet and not have all that pressure all, all on their shoulders. Adam, sorry to interrupt you. I just want to make sure your connection was right. Who, who did you say? <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've had some really bad takes on this podcast. That's not the worst one. I mean, come on. You don't know yet. No, no, not the worst one. Well, I mean, I, I don't think he wasn't even on the depth chart this year. Yeah. And I, I agree. I don't think that he's like the number two, like solid guy. I just think he's probably yeah. one of the first ones that you look at just to say, oh. Hey, emergency situation is happening. We need to throw somebody out there that's going to be a little bit different. You, Maybe the defense hasn't prepared for this person. You told yeah. me no faith in Ralph Rucker, and now you're just automatically catapulting Micah Bowens over Ralph Rucker, who was <laughs> on the depth chart higher than him last year. Listen, Tyler, this is rare territory for you and I, because typically it's like me and Adam versus you. So let's just remember January 25th of 2022, Adam thought Micah Bowens was going to be the second string quarterback. That's all we needed to pull from this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I, you guys seem to be missing out on the entire extra side of that. I don't think he's going to be second on the depth chart. I think he's just going to play. If Dylan Gabriel goes down, I think Bowens plays a little bit. I don't think he, I think it's kind of like a two quarterback system until Evers or Rucker finds their footing and then establishes themselves as the starter going forward. Wow. Now, hopefully we don't have to find out about that. 
I well, hope it, Dylan Gabriel has the healthiest season and never comes off the field. But if I'm if just Mo- throwing, I mean, at that point, it's an emergency situation. You're just trying things. Yeah, I mean, if Micah Bowen's is second on the depth chart for Week One, we've got we've got some pretty major problems here. So, but we'll. we'll I see. literally just said he wasn't going to be second on the depth chart at any point. <laughs> Adam is covering his bases. He's not yeah. going to be second on the depth chart, but he's going to be second on the depth chart. Just yeah, even even we're just clear spoken, clearing all options. Uh, yeah, spoken like a true politician. We we got it. there. You go. So, great clickbait, though. Well, have you, have you, Adam? Have you got anything else before we move on to the uh, the genie topic here? I just wish I would be left alone right now. Well, now you know how I felt the last 18 months uh, every time we do this. So let's, let's kind of transition here. Um, We kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, Oklahoma football, but trying to come up with a topic that, you know, now that we are moving into the off season, you know, the, the new staff is in place. We're starting to see some new personnel uh, come into effect. There's kind of a, you know, a revamped energy around this program right now, especially on the donor side of things. So, uh, we just kind of wanted to to kind of throw this question out there. Um, the the football genie uh, is going to grant us three wishes. Uh, we've each kind of got our number one thing that we either want to see or have happen between now and week one of the 2022 season. So, uh, Adam, what's the uh, what's the number one thing on your wish list um, that you're asking the genie to grant you? Yeah, I want the uh, price of oil to go over a hundred dollars per barrel, which. I know that sounds weird. I don't want to pay more for gas necessarily. Nobody wants to do that. But um, I want the economy to rise. Um, and we haven't seen the price of oil go you know, above $100 since 2014. Right now, it's about $75 a barrel, fluctuates uh, constantly. Um, but you know, if, if there was that significant increase to the economy, that's what's going to fund a lot of big projects at OU. And so we've seen you know, some renewed interest, I guess, in OU. Anytime you have a new coach coming in, there's going to be donors that you know, start opening up their pocketbooks because the excitement level is going to rise. But if we can really catapult that, um, and not just with, with football, but uh, maybe getting baseball finished out, um, getting some of the things with basketball, maybe some potential new arena there, something, you know, just anything that can provide more momentum for the entire athletic department as a whole is going to make all ships rise. Um, you know, uh, the other sports, they look to football and that's why a lot of softball and basketball players and so on and so forth um, have interest in OU um, because they know us from football. But the reverse can also be true. A lot of football players come in talking about Trey Young and what uh, what happens at the Lloyd Noble Center. So, um, just seeing all ships rise there, I think, could make a big difference. Not not necessarily this year uh, on the field, but ten years from now, twenty years from now, and so on. Yeah, that's great. I think I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction. <clears throat> For those of you listening who can honestly say you are over Lincoln Riley and you are over Caleb Williams, and you can enjoy talking about them without being upset or angry or having any feelings, you could just fast forward. The next 30 seconds, because this is not for you, but there is a huge part of the fan base that is still in, I got broken up with mode. And that's okay. We can sulk together, but it's time to kind of move on, right? Like the anger towards Lincoln Riley, the anger towards Caleb Williams. Guys, it's, it's over. They're not coming back. We got broken up with. It stung for a bit, but it's time to move on. I think we'd all agree. We may not see it for the next one, two, maybe even three years. But this program is in a better spot going forward than where we were when Lincoln Riley was the head coach. And so time to accept the facts. Stop being butthurt about everything that Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams does. Stop tweeting at them both. Stop commenting when he sends, like you just said, Tyler, the uh, fight on symbol, you know, before he turns off his comments because he's a he's a weak man. Um, but outside of that, guys, that would be my, my big wish is like, let's just – just cut the cord. All right. We we've had our time to sulk, had our time to be angry. Let's move on. Cause this program's just fine. I have absolutely no problem with OU fans still, you know, commenting. Well, anytime he, you know, tweets something out. Cause uh, yeah, I mean, he, he is a snake in the grass, man. It's, as best I can say about that, but no, you're exactly right. Corbin, uh, we, we got broken up with it stung, but I can promise you there are greener pastures are out there and OU is in prime position right now to take that next step moving forward, um, you know, going into 2022. And Adam, I, I thought you're, I think you're exactly right. I mean, when, when oil is over a hundred dollars a barrel, when gas is, you know, $3, $3.50 a gallon, that's good for the economy. That's good for businesses around here. You know, this is an oil and gas, an energy state here in Oklahoma. So um, when, when the oil field's booming, 
that's great for, for donors. That's great for businesses. That's great for the university of Oklahoma. Uh, so completely agree with you there. Um, and then also, you know, kind of talking about when oil goes over a hundred dollars a barrel, we talk about the impact on the economy and donors being able to, you know, maybe be a little bit more forthcoming, a little more giving with their dollars. I did kind of want to ask you guys, you know, talking strictly football, is there maybe a project or two that you guys kind of have your eye on, you know, maybe just outside of, you know, we need to redo the West side. We need to redo the press box. But if, you know, if OU was able to say, get a commitment for like a hundred million dollar pledge for, for, from a certain company, or that's a certain fund that OU has been able to build up there to the hundred million dollars, where would you like to kind of see that money go? Um, is it a facelift for the, the Switzer center, the locker room? Do we need to redo the Everest center? Um, just kind of what are some of your thoughts? Cause there, there is a lot of upgrading potential, uh, and a lot of things that need to be new and improved, um, here at, uh, the corner of, uh, Aspen Jenkins. You know, honestly, outside of the West side and the North end of the stadium, I, I don't really care about the press box. Sorry, media out there. I know they're not big fans of that, but I'm, I'm kind of fine with what, where football is. I would much rather see that money put to use in getting a new arena for basketball, uh, whatever that might be, because, um, it's, it's the Lloyd Noble center is kind of embarrassing. It's not a fun place to be. It's not drawing fans in. Um, it's just, it's just not great. It's a world war or more of a cold war bunker than it is a basketball arena. So I, again, I think if we have a men's basketball program with a great arena that will help us attract better players, more fan attendance, more engagement there, I think that's something that we will be more proud of as a fan base and will in turn help us in football, maybe not majorly, but in some minor aspects. So, I mean, if you're, if you're discluding the West side renovation, I, I'm kind of okay with where football is. For me, and I'll, I'll die on this hill. I have always wanted McCaslin to have a mega renovation to stop doing things in the LNC. Hold it for concert venues. If you want the men's bat and women's basketball, they can stay down there for all their practice stuff. But to have an opportunity to renovate, and there's there's space there to renovate McCasland. Yep, we an measured it last year. Yep. Yeah. To to renovate that, to have a on site for, uh, I mean everything that plays in there: volleyball, boat gymnastics, both basketballs, wrestling. Am I missing anything? That's all of them, right? To have volleyball. a spot where all of that. On, yeah, volleyball. Okay. To, to have all of that on the the heart of campus is a complete game changer, and you can't tell me it's any harder to get to. And during a big game at the LNC when Highway 9's backed up all the way to, you know, the uh, the major Highway 35. So uh, to me, that's always been the dream is to renovate McCaslin, put everybody back in there. It's a building that has history. It's a building that can be pretty loud. Um, and it, it just needs a mega renovation in order to do that, though, right? Like you can't really keep anything outside of probably the structure. And even that's going to have to be torn down because you're going to need a bigger one. So there's a lot that would go in there. I don't even know if it's feasible, but that's always been a dream of mine to have a mega renovation at McCaslin. And that, to me, that would really change things. You have yeah. a little bit of, re- go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. And and just as far as how that affects football, that's huge for having that mm-hmm. type of space right next door on a, on a Saturday, whether you're hosting recruits there, whether it's donors or, you know, whoever alumni it could be anything that would be an incredible space um, that would also benefit football a lot. Have either one of you been to Gallagher? I yes. have. Yeah. Yes. You guys both have seen it. I would honestly would love the football stadium and McCaslin to be connected, whether that's underground, whether it's above ground, doesn't matter to me, but having those two pieces connected like GIA does mm-hmm. to, to me, that is an incredible facility they've built. And, I, and that's a lot for me to say, but what they've done with that entire area between football and, uh, and basketball mm-hmm. up at the Stillwater is, is awesome. And that, that can be done in Norman. I just don't know the dollar amount and if that's even feasible. Well, it's a fantastic facility, but it's it's an incredible home advantage atmosphere that Oklahoma State has. You know, even if Oklahoma State's not good, Gallagher Iba, the way that it's set up, I mean, <laughs> the, the complete opposite of how it is at the Lloyd Noble Center. It's straight up yep. and you feel like the crowd is on top of you. So if you're in a weight team going into that, you know it's gonna be tough to come out of there with a win. Very similar to how it is uh, at Allen Fieldhouse that Texas Tech found out last night. But when looking at McCaslin Fieldhouse, I completely agree with you. You know, the, there is some room to the to the south of it. We, we all know that there's that big parking lot just to the east of it. So there is opportunity there for expansion. Um, I think that that place holds what just around three thousand right now. It, you can four around yeah, three to four thousand right yeah. now. So you know, 
4,000 fans at a women's basketball game, that has the possibilities to, you know, create a much better atmosphere. Ultimately, there are a lot of renovations that has to go on the inside in terms of ADA seating. It's not the most fan friendly type of venue in terms of getting to and from your seat, especially if you're sitting upstairs. Um, but I mean, we, we, you know, all of us have been in there, you know, whether it's wrestling, you know, men's gymnastics, that was kind of my sole focus sport at, at Oklahoma when, you know, during our time, in the ticket office and, you know, you feel two, 3000 fans in there, even for a men's gymnastics meet, that place was, you know, pretty ruckus. So you have the opportunity there, uh, to have some big time home atmosphere games, a true home field advantage. Um, and like you said, Corbin, the fact that you have it right there, just across the walkway from, the football stadium, there's a lot of opportunity there if you wanted to provide some money to upgrade uh, those types of facilities. And, you know, pertaining to strictly football, you know, in, in the arms race of college football, you're always trying to work to improve your to improve your facilities because uh, A&M is about to pump a, you know, multi, you know, $100 million into their football facility. Uh, Ole Miss just, I think they pledged, what, around three or $350 million towards their athletic facilities. So going into the SEC, you've got to continue to ramp up uh, you know, kind of give a facelift to some of your facilities on campus, uh, especially with football. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And But no, I'm, I'm a huge fan of moving everything back to McCaslin Fieldhouse. You still have everything down there at the LNC in terms of the basketball training facilities, really good practice courts, the gym, uh, and all that is fantastic. But no, I would I would really, really like to see it move to McCaslin. What's, what's yeah. the capacity McCaslin needs to be at? I think it's in the 8 to 10 range. I think it could be as low as 6. Uh, that's way too low. That's way too low for men's yeah. basketball. Yeah. I think you need to be at least eight, if not higher, but we've all seen it when the LNC has been packed and the LNC is what pushing 12. So yeah. I don't think we, the problem is we don't need 12 every game. We need right. 12 once or twice every three to four years. Yeah. That's kind of where the state of the program is. Eight, 8,000 is kind of a good sweet spot. I mean, Gonzaga, you know, that's one mm-hmm. of the best college foot or college basketball programs in the country. Definitely one of the best environments that place holds it right at 6,000. So, you know, bigger is not always better despite what some people might tell you. So if you can design the arena in such a unique way, even if you only have, if you go down from 12 to 8,000 people, chances are that's going to have a chance to be a better atmosphere. If you can kind of design it and position everything the right way. So, I just don't know what's, how, what's a genie wish we need to uh, to get back on track. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit more, uh, not quite as big picture as as oil or uh, or you know even you know Lincoln Riley moving on, Caleb Williams moving on. But I'm gonna stick with uh, kind of the depth chart here and uh, talking about football and focusing primarily on the class of 2023 um, in the trenches. Uh, primarily is where I want to focus on. Now on the offensive line, we've only had two. Offensive line commits in each of the last two years. That's something that is about to catch up on us. We're about to have quite a few upperclassmen uh, head to the NFL or graduate. So uh, the wish list that I had here is I want to see between now, January 25th, 2022, and week one when we open things up, September 30th against UTEP, I want to see five or more, four or five star, both offensive line and defensive line committed. So it could be two and three, three and two. However, but I want to start to see us kind of rack up the numbers in the trenches when it comes to recruiting the offensive and the defensive line. So moving into the SEC, you've got to have eight to 10 guys, especially on defense, but you want to have maybe seven or eight guys that you're confident in on the offensive side of the ball as well uh, in terms of whenever it comes to, you know, playing that grueling schedule uh, over the course of, you know, nine, 10, 11 weeks. So um, we've seen it with Todd Bates. I feel like uh, pretty confident saying that him, Ted Roof, and Venables, they're going to get things right on the defensive line. Beanbow, um, this is kind of him hitting the reset button. New coaching staff, new head coach, new coordinator. This is a chance for him to kind of, you know, show why he was the, you know, 2017, 2018, one of the best offensive line coaches in America. So uh, let's add some beef to the recruiting class uh, here in 2023 and let's get it done soon. Yeah, I think two names to know right off the bat. David Hicks just visited out of Allen, Texas. Mm -hmm. I think he's the number two recruit in all of 2023 right now. So a major defensive line prospect that things are are going really well for the Sooners right now. Another guy that OU needs to get to campus is an OU legacy in Lebius Overton out of the uh, Atlanta area. I think he's the number one overall uh, recruit in the nation in 2023. So both those guys are are huge targets there. Offensive line-wise, you know, it, like you mentioned, Tyler, it's kind of a prove it year for Bill Beanbow. Uh, he needs to prove that he hasn't lost it yet and that it truly was um, the offensive system and maybe some other mm-hmm. factors. But 
Um, they just haven't been up to snuff really on the offensive line uh, since Kyler Murray's year. Well, I mean, just, you know, looking at the depth chart right now, I mean, you've got, uh, I think that there's two or three, you know, super seniors that are that are part of this um, class. I mean, Robert Congle's one, Ian McIver's one, uh, and Chris Murray as well. But then you also look at guys that are seniors that, you know, if they have a good enough season, you know, they could leave the program as well. And that's where you've got guys, you know, like Wanya Morris or McKay Matower that's transferring in uh, from the Pac-12. So OU you've got to start building up the recruiting classes, you know, with these offensive linemen, because you're going to start to see a tremendous amount of turnover guys leaving to go to the NFL. And like I said, we've had back-to-back recruiting classes where we've only taken two off- offensive line commits, Jake Taylor, Jacob Sexton, Savion Bird, Colin Montgomery, uh, all four of those guys, not a single one of them, I think have played a meaningful snap uh, in-, in crunch time of a football game. So uh, we need some much added depth and being those guys were cut out for him. Agreed. And uh, before we jump over to our next uh, segment here, Corbin, I do want to remind everyone to make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at the main line and give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. I did double check. We're not allowed uh, to give out any type of like monetary prize or anything like that. Uh, Apple Podcasts really frowns upon that. But uh, if you would like to write us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, I'll commit to reading it live on the podcast, give you recognition there. Uh, or if you don't want to write something, don't want recognition, you can always hit five stars and submit. You don't have to write anything at all. So we greatly appreciate everyone doing that. And uh, Corbin, what you got next? Yeah, just side note, as someone who works in the mobile app space, just don't mess with Apple. So we're not going to do that. Uh, we've learned the hard way a few times. So yeah, moving on, guys, a segment we probably haven't done since last off season. I don't think we did this all during the season. Uh, it's called Place Your Bets. Um, please don't take us serious here. These are not real bets to be made. Um, but these are completely hypothetical, sometimes quite strange options of basically, would you rather, or do you rather, you know, see this happening versus would you rather see this happening? So to start us off here and to tell everybody, neither of you have seen these options. And so this will be completely off the cuff. I've got five different place your bet options here. Let's start off with the first one. We are in the midst of basketball season. We've got one team, uh, you know, in Norman who might be as a, uh, playing a little bit better than the other right now. So place your bets here, guys. OU men's basketball advances to the round of 32, or the women's basketball team gets all the way to the Elite Eight. So the round of 32 (laughs) is what most people think of as the second round. It's not called the second round, but just winning one game essentially is what you're saying there. And I'm going to have to lean towards the women's. I know they don't have a ton of, um, you know, postseason experience, Neither does the men's team, honestly. Uh, I think most of them have maybe won one game and not much else. So you got to like the women's chances just because once you're in that that top group, whether you're top 10, top 15, there's a huge gulf between those teams and anybody else below. Uh, men's teams, everybody's a lot closer, and I don't think that this OU team is going to have a great uh, seating situation. I feel pretty good about the women's basketball team as long as they don't play a team that has a six foot six center that can drop sixty points on them. So we'll touch an on NCAA that here. NCAA record, yeah, sixty one, and didn't attempt a single three point shot. So not 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 too shabby. But uh, I'm going the other way on this one. Um, Elite eight, that's hard to do, uh, no matter how good you are. So you know, I'm not even sure right now. I know the Porter Mosers group, um, they're they're kind of struggling right now. Big Twelve is they're just a gauntlet um, this season. So um, I've, I don't feel too good about it, but I'm going to go with men's basketball to win just one game, uh, yeah. in the, in March madness this year. So I'll go with that one. That's, that's how I feel guys. Give me, give me a, a, a one game chance versus a chance to win three. I think Adam, I, I, I see where you're coming from in your point, but to me, women's basketball is still like the top four. And then everybody else is kind of in a mix where, yes, men's basketball may be more even, but that almost gives me more confidence of like, okay. Mm-hmm you know, just one game, I'll roll my dice with that versus someone trying to get, you know, three wins in, uh, in March and April, which is, is pretty tough. All right, moving on to the next one here. Um, OU softball wins another national title in 2022 or OU baseball hosts a regional this year. Where are you placing your bets guys? Not even close. Softball winning another national <laughs> title. As much as I love baseball, and that was my sport, you know, when I was at OU working in the ticket office, um, you know, making sure that they had people coming to the games. But 
Uh, man, I just I, I can't put my trust in this baseball team. I've been let down too many times. I do have some questions about softball. Um, you know, there there was some rough stretch there in the postseason when G. Juarez was not playing good. She's no longer around. Can the pitching be top-notch like they need it? Reports are good so far, but we'll see. You, you don't bet against Saban. You don't bet against Belichick. I'm not betting against Patty Gasso. We this is this has a chance to be one of her best teams of, of of I guess her entire tenure here at Oklahoma. We heard JT Gasso on the radio just a couple weeks ago. He thinks that this is Patty's deepest team that she's had here in Oklahoma. So, like you said, Adam, if they can get the pitching uh, figured out, which they've they've got a lot of talent, a lot of a lot of arms down there to choose from, and you know over the course of a season, I think that they'll get that done. But that lineup, you know, one through nine, there's not a single hitter you can take off. So. Um, no, I, I feel good about OU softball, and I I would love to see OU baseball host a regional. I think that that would be good for Skip Johnson. Um, Adam, I'd have to kind of you know refer to your judgment on you know uh, how much heat is on Skip going into this year. Um, but I I can't bet against OU softball. I'm not betting against Patty Gas. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm already excited for Adam's uh, weekly baseball uh, recaps. <laughs> Uh, we just need to get a, like a soundboard for the wah wah every single time that you know we we go to that segment. So that's how it was last year anyway. So it was so miserable. I look forward to it. I don't know what that says about me. So all right, guys, moving on. Number three, men's and women's gymnastics both win the national championship or a single national championship by any other sport in 2022, including football next season. Man, that's uh, tough. I mean, how many years has men's and women's both won the title in the same year? I, I think it's I, only been one or two. It's happened once. I think it was yeah. Maggie's Maggie's sophomore and junior year, uh, and it was the year the men's gym. They had Yule and Colin Van Wickle and, and all that. So um, our gymnastics programs are really, really good. It looks like, you know, women's gym, they've, you know, they've kind of started off the year kind of up and down a little bit. Men's gym is, is fantastic, off to a good start. But I'm going to go with the other one on this one. I think that – uh, I've got my eye on the the OU men's golf team this year. Um, they're they're going to be a top three team this year. Uh, we know the Coach Hibble squad. They always perform. They always get to the postseason, have a chance to make a run at it. So uh, I'm going to call my shot on this one. I think OU men's golf uh, is going to be bringing home another national championship to Norman this year. I think this is the toughest one that you've given us so far, simply because there's only a couple contenders out there. Softball, men's golf, football, you know, it would have to be a miracle type of year, probably where everything comes together, but it's possible. Outside of that, I don't see any other teams that are really truly contending for a national championship. So, uh, for that reason, I think I'm going to go with the, <laughs> I think I have to stick with the gymnastics uh, programs, both winning, even though I don't feel great about that necessarily. I'll be That's honest, a good one. I haven't, uh, I haven't kept up with women's gym so far. I saw they, they smacked Alabama pretty good, but what's happened since then? Yeah, so the schedule's not updated on SoonerSports.com, yeah. and uh, I guess we'll, we'll cover it in a minute, but uh, they yeah. did take an L uh, to Utah and then uh, have bounced back a little bit, so we'll see. Interesting. I'm going to have to go check them out. I see they've got uh, Denver on the schedule here, so that's at the LNC, but I think uh, the University of Denver is hosting the Big 12 Championships, so I will make it a point to uh oh, we'll to have be there. Uh, Main light will be on site. That's right. I'll see if I can get press access. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, moving on. Number four, uh, can't get too far away from football here on these last two. So OU football to make the playoff, the college football playoff in 2022, or to not even be playing for the big 12 title game. I feel like it's gotta be the second one, even though it, it hurts me deeply to say that. Um, I mean, just there's too many unknowns at this point, and uh, we got a long way to go before we start feeling really confident about any type of playoff run. Well, if you ask R.J. Young, three of the four college football playoff teams are going to be from the SEC, so um, no chance there. I guess, I guess if um, if you're an OU fan, so might as well just not even plan on that. Um, I, I think that it's much more likely that this team doesn't play for a Big 12 championship than it is we make it to the top four. Um, but I'm not going to rule us make you know having a chance to play in the playoff. I think that you know if if we can get the quarterback position right, I think that OU will have a chance there. Uh, but sadly, I'm going to have to go for for the latter and pick OU to not not play in the Big 12 championship for a second straight year. Yep. All right, guys. Final one in this segment here. <laughs> Dylan Gabriel is a Heisman contender 
and in New York City for the ceremony, or Patty Gasso retires at the end of the 2022 softball season. There is no, uh, I'm not going to say no, but (laughs) Patty has worked her entire career to get OU a new softball stadium. There's no way health, you know, all things being equal, there's no way that Patty Gasso is not coaching the first game in the new stadium uh, for, for the, uh, for love. So I'm going to have to, I guess I'm going with the Hawaiian guy. I'm going with Dylan Gabriel. He's going to be in New York to uh, be a Heisman finalist. So I will say this, if he is a Heisman finalist, OU's playing in the Big 12 championship. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty easy one, actually. I I don't think I see Gasso running out of gas, no pun intended, um, anytime soon. So I think she definitely will coach in a stadium that could potentially have her name on it. So, um, yeah, I think I think Dylan Gabriel's got all the tools there, and I think this offense is going to put up some numbers. Um, so I, it wouldn't shock me if he was in New York. Adam, is it more likely that OU baseball hosts a regional? Or Micah Bowens is the starting quarterback at OU. I never said Micah Bowens would start. So I think that's a good opportunity to move on to our our sports updates. We've talked a little bit about men's basketball already, but uh, Tyler, not a great week. Or I guess Corbin's covering it this week, um, but not a great week for for men's basketball and maybe not too many uh, good games coming here in the near future either. Yeah, where's that uh, wah-wah soundbite that we need? Uh, guys, I think we've lost six straight, um, so really not uh, not going well. I'm not dead on this team. I think this team has a ton of potential. I really do. But you have to find ways to win close games in this conference, especially at home. I'm okay losing to Baylor at home. Like, that's going to happen. Baylor is just that much better than we are. But when if you're going to do that, you have to beat TCU on the road and you have to handle Kansas at home. That's how this conference works. So, you know, and I, I think in addition to that, it shines a bigger light on those losses to Butler and Utah State in the non-conference. You can't lose those heading into this to, to what the gauntlet they have uh, in the Big 12 conference. So taking a quick peek at what's upcoming tomorrow night or tonight, depending on when you're listening, Wednesday night at West Virginia. Uh, every single time I see that game on the schedule and tweets, I'm so thankful I'm on that flight. I've done that three times. It is the worst flight in the world to make uh, in the middle of January and February. At West Virginia, tough place to play. And guys, hey, things get easier for the uh, Big 12 SEC, you know, crossover game nope at number one auburn on saturday for the big 12 sec challenge uh so guys i mean this is just a brutal brutal schedule the good news is there's plenty of opportunity for quality wins left on this schedule the bad news is is none of them are going to be very easy so you have to figure out a way to win your games at home that will be the savior of this season and make sure this team is in the um you know with the big 12 or excuse me the ncaa tournament but guys, you got to figure out a way to steal a cup on the road too. Even if that is out of West Virginia, out of TCU, out of Oklahoma State, teams that aren't ranked in this conference, you got to find a way to win those games on the road while also taking a hold and serve at home. So, a lot of opportunities left, guys. But they've got to figure out something. Especially, they've got to figure out how to close games. They have been up in some of these games late, and they haven't finished them out. That's been the biggest difference so far in this uh, this team. Yeah, well, that kind of goes back to what we were saying about OU not having a, a true closer or a true guy that you can rely on uh, to give them the ball and be able to go get you two points. But Corbin, what's what's Oklahoma's conference record right now? Are they two and five? Two, two and, and five. six? Yeah. Okay. So you would you would have to think yes, they do have the two really good non conference wins, but you'd have to think they'd have to go at least what five hundred to to make to the, tournament, the tournament right. Yeah, I don't think so. Because uh-uh. okay. I mean. Um, Take a look here. Hang on. So while you're looking that up, the athletic has a, a bubble watch article that comes out every week. And uh, this was the week that OU moved from safely into uh, work to do. And that's a scary place to be. And probably one of the reasons why it made it pretty easy for me to side with the women making the elite eight versus uh, the men's basketball team, just winning one game. Cause it's very possible that if they don't turn this around, they could be on the outside looking in here. So the the positives are, in a sense, I think everybody recognizes how good this conference is. The the negatives in this is the fact the conference is so good they're beating up on each other. And right now there are only four ranked teams, um, you know, in this conference. But guys, the the worst team in the conference is still ten and eight in K State. It's mm-hmm. it's just brutal. But I mean, you, you just try to take a look at, you know, what's what's ahead. Um, 
you know, if they can figure out a way to to win at Auburn, I mean, that obviously changes the entire season. But you got out West Virginia, you host TCU. If you can go two and one in the next three stretch, you're right back in the conversation. You've got the season turn right back around. If you lose at Auburn, that is not a big deal. That's not a conference game. It's against the number one team in the country. I don't think that hurts y'all that much. But you've got to take care of the next three conference games at West Virginia versus TCU and at Oklahoma State. Those are three you have to figure out a way to win to get back to 500 in the conference. And now all of a sudden you've got some momentum down the stretch where it's back to a gauntlet of Texas Tech, Kansas, Texas, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and in the in in uh, with Bedlam. So it's it's just not going to be easy. But you gotta you gotta find ways to win uh, win the next three. Well, let's move over to the other side of the Lloyd Noble Center, and that is the OU women's basketball team. Um, Jenny Baranchek's group uh, fell to Kansas State 94-65 on Saturday. Kansas State started the game out on a 15-0 run, uh, and unfortunately the Sooners couldn't do anything to stop the bleeding and get back in it. So uh, I believe they were outscored like 51-27 to in the first half, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So, uh, guys, anytime you give up 61 points to, to an opposing team's player, Chances are you're not going to win the game. So shout out to Ayoka Lee, uh, set an NCAA Division One record, scoring 61 points, 23 to 30 from the field, 15 to 17 from the charity stripe. Uh, and guys, you've got to have a short memory in this one. Yes, we lost just our third game of the year. We are still second in the Big 12 right now, behind Iowa State. So still a lot of opportunity out there, a lot of basketball to be played. Uh, but like I said, you can't let this snowball. Got to have a short memory uh, because tomorrow night. Uh, Oklahoma is going to return to the Lloyd Noble Center uh, for the first installment of Bedlam this year when they host uh, Oklahoma State. So uh, it's a big one tomorrow night at 6 p.m. inside the LNC, and we'll see if uh, Jenny's group can get back on track. Yeah. Wrapping up here with two more uh, women's sports updates. Women's Gym, who we talked about earlier, uh, they did take the loss uh, to Utah about a week and a half ago in kind of a kind of a little bit of a surprise there, even though they were ranked in the top 10. But uh, Sooners bounce back, beat up uh, this weekend three different opponents in Utah State, Arizona, and Stanford, uh, and then they'll have Denver this Sunday at home. So um, very early in the season for the uh, women's gym team, but I think they're starting to trend back in the right direction there. Um, and then lastly, on softball, we're, we're coming up. Uh, we're probably about two weeks out from the first game, mm-hmm. although it'll be a month after that before we see any uh, games in Norman because they like to open up on the road and I don't blame them because they're going to be playing in some really warm climates, but uh, they are the consensus preseason number one across the board. Now I think we got our final poll out today that people look at. So um, if there's any team that I think uh, has the right coach and and culture in place to handle those high expectations, it's gotta be softball. So uh, a lot of exciting things coming on the diamond here soon, but uh, that's going to be a wrap for us tonight. We appreciate everyone listening. Uh, We'll have a lot more fun, interesting things coming up here in the near future. So uh, we will see everyone again next week for the next installment of Mainline.